Welcome back to The Daily Devotion. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. My name is Kevin Hell. I'm the pastor at Christ Church Conway, which is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA, here in Conway, Arkansas. We started this podcast in order to, as I said, strengthen us in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. Most days, we will be working through a book of the Bible. Presently, we are working, uh, as you know, if you've been following along, through the book of 1 Peter. We're taking it very slow in, in very kind of nibbles of the text in order to really dive into what Peter is driving at and, and to apply that to our lives, that we might understand how the Word of God impacts us. But then there's two special days. On Sundays, it's Sermon Sunday, and we simply post the sermons from Christ Church Conway. And on Wednesdays, it's Westminster Wednesday, and we're going to break from the book that we're studying right now, 1 Peter, and work our way through the Westminster Confession. As we do this, we're going to have one particular guide. There will be various things that I look at, but one particular guide is a book by Chad Van Dixhorn called Confessing the Faith, A Reader's Guide to the Westminster Confession of Faith. It was published by the Banner of Truth Trust in 2014, uh, and it's an incredibly helpful kind of commentary on the confession of faith. Dr. Van Dixhorn did his uh, PhD, as I understand, looking at the the history of the confession, and he has edited the minutes of the Westminster Assembly. So when it comes to the Westminster Confession of Faith, to the Westminster Standards, he really is the authority, really worldwide, on the confession of faith. And he's written a very helpful, very accessible book that is commenting on the doctrines of the Westminster Confession. For those interested, I'll post a link to this book uh, from the Banner of Truth in the in the note comments or the the, the show notes that you can find. Uh, and I'll also post a, a link to a place you can buy a copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms if you don't have one. So let's jump in on this Westminster Wednesday to the Westminster Confession of Faith. First of all, some kind of background to what exactly this document is. We uh, talk about it quite a bit at church, but we not just a ton. Uh, maybe we should talk about it more. That's why we're doing this. The Westminster Confession of Faith is a confession of faith. It's actually one part of what is known as the Westminster Standards that were produced in the 1600s by English Parliament in an effort to reform the church and, and update their standards. It ended up being a complete rewriting, and there were people of various stripes uh, all over Great Britain that were involved in this assembly and in the the putting together of the Westminster Standards. The three parts that are pertinent to us as far as our constitution uh, in the Presbyterian Church in America are the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was completed in 1646, and then the larger and shorter catechisms, both of which were completed a year later in 1647. We're going to begin by looking at the Westminster Confession, and we're just going to take it probably a paragraph at a time because it's a very rich and thorough document that outlines what it is that we believe the Bible teaches. The Westminster Confession begins with a chapter on Holy Scripture. And the first paragraph reads this way. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, 
Yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church, and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same wholly unto writing, which maketh the Holy Scripture to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people now being ceased. The first chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, begins not with the discussion of Scripture, but with the discussion of what we call general revelation. And this section, paragraph one of the first chapter, uh, really, that's what it gives us. is a distinction between general and special revelation. A distinction which is a, a distinction of content. It's not necessarily a distinction of mode, of how that revelation was given. It's a distinction of content, of what is given in that revelation. We find that general revelation, in as we read in Romans 1 and other places, general revelation is a thing. Oftentimes we think, no, you only know God through, through Scripture, but the Bible itself in Psalm 19, the heavens declare you know, the, the handiwork of God. And, and uh, Romans 1 that reminds us that, that in creation God has made himself known in such a way as to leave men inexcusable. The Bible itself teaches us that God has made himself known in his works of creation and providence. However, as the confession states, this is not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation. So, it leaves us unexcusable, but it's not sufficient for salvation, that is, general revelation. The confession says, therefore, God gave what we call special revelation, what, what we refer to now as scripture. And, and there's some interesting points to be made here, some, some very kind of helpful points. First of all, the confession reminds us that it pleased God to make himself known in this way. That's helpful because if we think about what was insufficient was the knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary for salvation. And then the next statement is that it pleased God to reveal himself in this way. It's a very comforting reminder to know that God made the plan of salvation. No, he made his, the knowledge of him and of his will that is necessary for salvation. He made that known to man out of his good pleasure. It pleased him to make the way of salvation known to man. There's great comfort in that. It's not that God was duty-bound to do this or that someone was strong-arming him or, or something of that nature. No, it was his pleasure to reveal himself in such a way that we could know him and his will and know his son and know what we must do to be saved. That is, look to Christ in faith. What, what joy there is in knowing that it's God's pleasure to make this way of salvation known. And so he preserved it in writing. He committed his will that is necessary for salvation, the knowledge of God that is necessary for salvation. He committed this to writing. It tells us in the confession that there are two main reasons uh, that he committed this to writing. 
First, for the preserving and propagating of the truth. This obviously could be subdivided on the one hand, truth of salvation, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who God is and what his will for his world is. That was made known in scripture and so has been preserved. That it not be forgotten, that it not be lost. And and, and second of this point is that it's for the propagating of the truth. That, that the word of God may be made known, that the way of salvation, the knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation, that that may be easily known because we have it preserved for us. And so we can be sure that what we are making known is in fact the way of salvation. What a gift this is to the church. What a gift this is really to the world. That God's will for salvation can so easily be easily be made known. He also committed this to writing, it tells us, for the establishment and comfort of the church. And then there are three qualifications that are given. For the establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, against the malice of Satan, and against the malice of the world. We forget sometimes that there is an enemy. We forget sometimes that There are these thorns that we've been talking about on Sunday morning as we've been working through the parable of the sower. There are these thorns, these cares of the world that grow up and choke out the word. We forget sometimes that that there is this corrupted flesh that would rather not have to deal with the word, would certainly rather not have to submit to the word. By preserving it for us in writing, we have a tool by which we can stand against all of those things by which we can be comforted in the face even of our greatest enemy, by which we can resist him, by which we can put to death with the Spirit's help the deeds of our body as we run again and again to the Word of God with the Spirit applying it to our heart. So he has given this not only and preserved it, not only that the way of salvation may be made known, but for the continued comfort of the church. And he says for the establishment of the church. In other words, the Bible, as the Westminster Confession teaches, the Bible is our foundational document. The confession is part of our constitution. The Bible is not because the Bible cannot be amended. It is the foundation. And wherever the confession is found to be out of accord with scripture, we are duty bound to bring it into accord, to amend it in order that it may be written and state accurately, summarize accurately what the Bible teaches. It is the Bible, it is the word of God on which the church is established and built. And it is the word of God by which the church is comforted in the face of all that is before us. And therefore it is the word of God, the confession goes on to say, that is necessary. And he says that it's necessary because these former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. If we go back, it says it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare his will unto his church. How is it that he has done this? Well, we see in the book of Hebrews and in other places that it's through his prophets that God has made himself known. In fact, it is Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2 that is being quoted with that language of in diverse times and in uh, sundry ways. 
that God has made himself known to the fathers by the prophets. But this has now ceased, the confession teaches. Now, we need to be careful with what we mean by this. First of all, let me offer three qualifications. First of all, the, the will that has been revealed and that, that is no longer being revealed in these same ways, if we read this in the context of this paragraph, is the knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation. That makes the second point, Scripture alone, as we've already said, the final authority. And finally, the third qualification is that this does not deny the Spirit's personal working and leading in our lives. The Spirit is active and, and does work in our lives, but He works in and through Scripture. He, he, he calls to mind those things which we have been taught, these truths of Scripture. So the confession isn't denying the work of the Spirit here in any way. Rather, it's reminding us what it is that is foundational for our faith. We must remember that. This is why when we have these supposed private revelations from God about something that, that you know, we're supposed to do this, that, or the other, it, that, that oftentimes they aren't in line with Scripture. We can be certain, well, that's not actually a revelation from God. That's a revelation from our flesh. We're not hearing God on that point when the Spirit, I'm using air quotes here, is leading us to work against the Word of God. That's not going to happen. We can be sure of that. That's the point that the confession here is trying to make. That the Spirit is still active. He is still active in leading His people and in calling to mind what we have been taught and comforting us in all of those things, but He does so according to to God's word, not contrary to God's word. So for the Christian life, this section teaches us to take up God's word, drink deeply of God's word, drink deeply from this fountain that we may be strengthened by the spirit through his word for the life to which we have been called in Christ. May he be with you. Amen.